what I'd like to do is for us to start out with a little meditation. Very, very simple one. We've done this before, and hopefully this will relate to something <laughs> I will say later. Uh, <laughs> so remember this. I, I just love that expression. Remember this. How are you going to remember this? <laughs> uh, no, you don't have to remember it. I'll recall it for you later on. So if you'd close your eyes. And allow your mind to become as quiet as it can. There is no perfect state of quietness. It's just going to become a little bit quiet, a little bit peaceful. And please do this in any way you like. If you want to listen to the traffic, to the uh, sound of the feet on the gravel outside, to your own heartbeat, to your breathing. Or if you would like to, if you are at a point where you can have a completely still mind, then that's uh, would be very good also. So let's just just, just have your mind be as quiet and as still and as peaceful, just like some beautiful pond that has become completely still. There is not a single breeze ruffling the water, and it is a perfect reflection of the light of the sun, that kind of stillness. Now, with your eyes still closed, say some words of truth to yourself. It doesn't matter what words of truth. Any words of truth, just say some words of truth. Okay, now be still again. No words. Your mind is as quiet and as still as it can possibly be. You can listen to sounds. You can do anything at all. But no thoughts as best as possible. And then out of the silence, let the words of truth come again to your mind. Any words at all. Let them rise out of the stillness of your mind like some beautiful water bird. And now the stillness again. Do you see what happens when you talk to God out of stillness? This is a reading from A Course in Miracles, page uh, 474 and 475 of the text. Without you, there would be a lack in God, a heaven incomplete, a son without a father. There could be no universe and no reality. For what God wills is whole and part of him, because his will is one. 
nothing alive that is not part of him, and nothing is but is alive in him. Your brother's holiness shows you that God is one with him and you. Before your brother's holiness, the world is still, and peace descends on it in gentleness and blessing so complete that not one trace of conflict still remains to haunt you in the darkness of the night. He is your savior from the dreams of fear. He is the healing of your sense of sacrifice and fear that what you have will scatter with the wind and turn to dust. In him is your assurance God is here and with you now. While he is what he is, you can be sure that God is knowable and will be known to you, for he could never leave his own creation. And the sign that this is so lies in your brother. There must be doubt before there can be conflict, and every doubt must be about yourself. Christ has no doubt and from his certainty his quiet comes. He will exchange his certainty for all your doubts if you agree that he is one with you, and that his oneness is endless, timeless, and within your grasp because your hands are his. He is within you, yet he walks beside you and before, leading the way that he must go to find himself complete. His quietness becomes your certainty. And where is doubt when certainty has come? The Christ in you is very still. He knows where you are going, and he leads you there in gentleness and blessing all the way. His love for God replaces all the fear you thought you saw within yourself. For what but Christ is there to see and hear and love and follow home. Christ's hand holds all his brothers in himself. He gives them vision for their sightless eyes and sings to them of heaven that their ears may hear no more the sound of battle and of death. He reaches through them holding out his hand that everyone may bless all living things and see their holiness. And he rejoices that these signs are yours to look upon with him and share his joy. His perfect lack of specialness he offers you, that you may save all living things from death, receiving from each one the gift of life that your forgiveness offers to yourself. The sight of Christ is all there is to see. The song of Christ is all there is to hear. The hand of Christ is all there is to hold. There is no journey but to walk with him. I don't have a theme to what I want to talk to you about this morning. 
I have a number of different things that I'd like to discuss with you. The first one is a little bit about money, since our last talk was on money. And it was a, a real good one. And it may, have, uh, it may have raised some questions in your mind, what our two speakers had to say. And so let me uh, add just a little bit to that concept. Because money is a very painful area for most people. It's uh, an area that has tremendous guilt, and people react, overreact to it, going one way or the other, thinking that there's something they must do about money, that money calls to them, that there is a calling concerning money. There is no calling concerning money. There is no purpose in your heart concerning money. Money has no more meaning than the sound of the traffic that goes by outside this window. It has no more meaning than the light bulbs or the pews that you sit on. It is simply one of billions and billions of things in this world. There's nothing to do about money except to not be afraid of it. And when you have removed every last trace of fear about money, then it will assume a natural, comfortable place in your life. And you will not be running away from it or after it. You will not be trying to use it to manipulate people or to punish them or to make them your friend. You will not see it as a place where your happiness can come from or where a lack of it can produce your sorrow. But until that day comes, you must understand that it is almost impossible to live in this world and not feel guilty about money. I don't know why there hasn't been a, uh, a horror movie made about <laughs> Not about money, but about uh, glue. I can't think of uh, guilt without thinking about glue uh, or, or about uh, stickiness. John loves bubble yum. As a matter of fact, we've been combing Santa Fe for banana-flavored bubble yum. I don't know if they've taken it off the market or not, but this is one of the big tragedies now, and John's life is four years old. Uh, but John is getting very good at blowing bubbles. He's not get, getting good at sucking them back. They, <laughs> they explode at a certain point, and then much time is, is uh, spent getting this off of the, his eyebrows and everything like that. Don't you think this would make a wonderful horror movie? Adhesive man, you know, <laughs> stalking, finding people in uh, compromising situations and blowing a bubble that keeps them stuck right there. You know, and so that all of your health-minded friends will see just as you reach for the moon pie at 7-Eleven, you know, the bubble sticks you to the moon pie. <laughs> but this is, this is what guilt is. It is a glue, an adhesive, a gummy substance. It is of no use to you. Your ego will tell you that you can become a better person if you will use guilt against yourself and you will feel bad about what you have done 
and possibly even talk to others about what a bad person you have been, what a mistake you have made, and spend much time apologizing and going over and over the scene. This is a glue that simply assures that you will repeat the mistake in some form, possibly not in the exact form that you did it the first time, but it is a way of assuring that there will be no change. And there is in this world tremendous guilt attached to money, and it takes a great deal of self-honesty and direct awareness to become, to become aware of how this operates in your life concerning money, how the guilt operates. So you watch the evening news, which is the first mistake you made, uh, or read the magazine or the newspaper or so forth, and you see people starving to death. You see people with no money. You see people, if they had money, then uh, they could get the dialysis machine for their child. They could get the operation for their cancer. They could uh, have their eyes corrected, or whatever the thing may be. And this barrages you from... Uh, what are the globe and what are the other ones that star and all the things that are there at the at Albertsons as you check out, you see. Hits you. The headlines hit you. And do you really think that you walk away feeling no guilt? It is possible to walk away from those headlines, those news briefs, the countless conversations, the little stories that you hear with no guilt. But it would take an awareness that you possibly are not exercising as yet. And so there the guilt lies and you're not even aware of it. And now the opportunity comes to spend your money. What will you do? In most cases, you will spend money on things you do not need. Because you are trying to get rid of the money. You don't think you ought to have money. And you will try to get rid of it because you feel guilty about having it. And this is perfectly logical. If you do not question the assumption of the headline or the news brief. Possibly you don't like the way you got the money. This is why it does no good, since I can see many of you are thinking of this, of killing someone for money. <laughs> You will feel so guilty that you will simply get rid of it as quickly as possible in the most chaotic, disturbing way that you can. It often does not help to marry for money for the same reason. There is nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with inheriting money. But if you feel guilty, if you somehow feel that you don't deserve it, then you will unconsciously work to get rid of it. Now, the other thing that you will be tempted to do is to not spend it and to become almost insensitive and unkind in the way that you hold on to it. This is the same guilt, but a different reaction. So e always... Always there is the calling. Always there is the demand. 
You must do something about the money. You must save it and not spend it. Or you must spend it on things you don't really want. You must have no idea of where your money's going. Most people have no idea where their money went. Why would they have no idea? Because they are guilty. Why would someone never have money and always have their friends pick up the check, which is the other thing, you see? Why would someone try to punish a waitress with putting a couple of pennies on the table? Why would someone try to force another business into bankruptcy? Why would someone not get the things that they need just to have a simple comfort, just to have a com comfortable house in which to live? Why would someone not put on their brakes because they're afraid they're going to wear out the brake line? Have you ever been in a car with someone <laughs> saving the brake lining? <laughs> we must have no reaction to money. And the only way to have no reaction to money is to have no fear and no guilt. And the first step, and a complete step, step in itself, is to simply be conscious of your emotions as you spend the money, as the money comes in. To not be afraid and turn and look at the problem, whatever the problem may seem to be. Scrimping, and being uh, in some way insensitive in your tight tightness, going on occasional binges and spending sprees that really don't make you happy at all. Or another one that many of us are affected by, maintaining some sort of self-image about money. And this, of course, can go uh, two ways. And so we're the kind of person that must eat in such and such a restaurant. We must drive such and such a car. We must have such and such clothes. We have to buy an expensive present. Always buy the expensive present for the person who's having the birthday. We have to always pick up the tab. And on and on and on. There's an image there that must be maintained. This can be very, very deep-rooted. Your family, the image can say, is family of money, of substance, as the term goes. It was a family of substance. And you are a person of substance. I was at the airport. Uh, uh, I told you that uh, Sharon Winter had died in... Uh, I flew to California this week to uh, do the service with uh, Jerry. And so I was in airports, uh, which is one of my, I just love to be in airports. There's so many interesting things that go on. And there are people standing around waiting for the plane, and they were dressed in their image. We dress in our image. I'm an usher today. 
so there was these, there were these very well-dressed people standing around. And the woman sitting next to me was trying to figure out where the people coming off of the plane were coming from. This is a very fun game to do. What part of the country are these people coming from? If you don't think you have any judgments, try that one. <laughs> and uh, so there were the people standing around, and they were either very consciously, casually dressed, or they were dressed up. But there was one guy there uh, who was a working man. And uh, he saw all this stuff going around. None of this phony business for him. And he unbuttoned his shirt, and he stuck out his considerable brown tummy, uh, which showed that he was a working man. And uh, he sort of paraded around like this. <laughs> and it was just wonderful to see people trying to not look at him or not to appear to be looking at the tummy, you see. <laughs> uh, so a self-image, do you see? We play out this self-image. It's the past. The self-image comes from the past. Your ego is your past experience. And it is where you act from. It is how you react. Your past is how you react. And it is your past that keeps you in the world. And money, of course, is one of those tools. How you spend the money or how you don't spend the money. How you dress with the money. And so forth. Now, what happens with enlightenment? Or, I just love this word, translation. Have you ever heard of that one? That's another word for ascending. To be translated. Uh, I can see you. <laughs> this is not a great thrill to you. But, uh, I've always thought I, that's what I would like to do is to be translated. Now, what happens with enlightenment, with waking up, with becoming happy, with becoming a, gen a gentle and good person, with undergoing this transformation? All that really happens is that you begin to respond from the present instead of from the past. There is a different you standing in the present. There is a different identity actually there so that you are actually choosing between two identities. One is found in the past and the other one is found in the present. And your attitudes toward money are one of the indications of how you are responding. Do you have argues, arguments with your spouse and do you always take the side we should spend the money or do you always take the side we shouldn't spend the money? That has nothing to do with the present. There is no disagreement in the present. Did you know that? There is no difference with another person in the present. There can only be a difference with another person, a difference of opinion with another person, if both of you are looking to your past, your personality, your habits, your tired old way of reacting for what to do and what to feel. And this, of course, is habitual. This is something that we do instantly. So something comes up 
and we immediately turn to the past as to how we are to feel about this. And we think that is our feeling, and we find ourselves at odds with another person. When two people close their eyes and return to the present, they will agree on whether to go to the party, whether to spend the money, whether to have the car washed, whether to uh, take, be firm with the child. In the present, there is no agreement because there is only one self. There's only one heart and one mind and one will. And this is a beautiful, wonderful, happy, rapturous fact. But don't think about the fact. Think only about the present and you will begin to experience the fact and you will not fear oneness anymore. Do not underestimate your fear of oneness because to the ego this means annihilation. And you must experience oneness to understand that there is nothing to fear from it. There is nothing to fear from agreement. Deep heart agreement. Not switching mental positions in order to have the appearance of agreement, which does nothing. It's a form of guilt. But the deep agreement that comes from the heart where we see no differences, where we rush to help the other person, where we, in fact, encourage people in their mistakes. And so around you, you see people making the same mistake over and over again. All of us know this about our friends. They make the same mistake over and over and over again and we don't understand why they do that. What is your position? In light of the truth, in light of the truth, what is your position about the mistake that your friend, your child perhaps, your spouse, your parent keeps making over and over? Your parent reaches out to you your parent doesn't know how to reach out to you because the only way they've ever reached out to you was as the child. And they're still reaching out to you as if you were a child because that's the way they've always done it. And they make the same mistake and they call up and they ask the same silly questions and they make the same, give you the same silly advice and they make the same mistake. Or perhaps it is you calling the child. And it never goes right. Something always goes wrong. As a matter of fact, you're tense on the phone as you call this relative, as you call this friend, because you know the time's going to come in the conversation when it's all going to start going wrong. Be an absolute friend to this other person and encourage them in their mistakes. Mistakes are simply lessons that must be learned 
and they must be repeated until they are learned. And how many times must be, they be repeated? There is no perfect number. And see how many times you have repeated a mistake over and over again until at last you learned it. And would it have made your way easier if you had been condemned as you were in the middle of this process of repeating the mistake? Would it have pushed you in the right direction or in an unhelpful direction if you had been given advice not to do that? What we don't generally understand is that people make up their mind and they know what they want to do. And your advice is not going to change this. They're going to go ahead and do what they want to do. You have the choice of either being their absolute friend or mentally standing back and judging them. And they will feel it whether you speak it or not. So here, here, here goes the uh, person again, and they're having house guests once again. And you know about this particular uh, couple that they cannot have house guests. It drives them up the wall to have house guests. They just become absolutely shattered, and and uh, everything starts going wrong. And yet here they are, and they just told you excitedly that once again they are having house guests. Now what do you do? Do you remind them of the 26 times that they have gone through this? And that they've always been excited about having house guests, that this is no exception, and that you can tell them exactly how it's going to end. That perhaps you uh, quote Benjamin Franklin. Fish and house guests stink after three days. And you feel very wise. No. You say in your heart, and you say in your eyes, and you say in your tone of voice, that's wonderful. It is wonderful. They only have to have house guests so many times, maybe it's 75. <laughs> and then they will see that at the moment, it would be easier to continue their walk home if they didn't have house guests that this would not set them back. In the meantime, you are their friend and you encourage them in whatever they wish to do. You do not condemn them. And so when we talk about specifics here in the church, as I've said so often, please never quote the specific. I may make a specific suggestion and I may tell you that it's best, for example, to watch carefully kidding other people, that often the ego enters into kidding. Often the ego enters into asking questions. But if you go out and call someone on that, then they feel criticized. You are pushing someone in the wrong direction whenever anyone feels criticized. Never do anything that makes another person feel criticized. What you want to do is to see the holiness in them. And it truly makes no difference what they're choosing in the world. It's not that you know the right thing. There is no right thing in the world. There's only the peaceful thing. And so you wish to bring peace to your brother and your sister. You wish to know that there's some, you wish them to know that there's someone that understands them. 
that accepts them, that takes them where they are, they, you know, where they are. Because doesn't your internal teacher do this with you? How many times do you get the same advice when you close your eyes and ask? How many times do you hear the same words over and over? And how patiently? Never is there a cattle prod out of heaven goosing you and say, I told you this 26 times and this doesn't happen, you see. Very patiently. Okay, let's talk about something else now. We've talked about this before. I want to come at this just a little bit different way. This is so important. This is why I keep talking about this. You see, we started this church over in the girls' club. We were all at a certain level, not all of us, but most of us were at a certain level of learning. Organizations, just like people, take steps. This church is further along than it was. This is a little uh, safari. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know where this analogy is going. <laughs> Now I've got rhinoceroses and everything else running around. <laughs> the winged rhinoceros of heaven, you see. <laughs> no. <laughs> but actually, there's a family, you see. It's it's true, of course, people come and they they listen to as much of this as they can stand and they don't <laughs> they don't come back. We understand this. But there is a group. There is a group. It's it's not closely defined. We have no members. We keep no tabs. We don't ask you to write your name in a book or pin things on you or anything. But obviously there's a group, you see. This church, and I can feel it, reaches a stage. It, it gets ready for a step. So that means that most of you get ready for a step. And that's why we, we that's why there's a progression goes along and that's why we reach a certain stage and I do everything that I can to point out the step and to give you everything that I personally have found helpful to make this transition and we have reached such a step in this organization this this uh, group and once again here's the step you must now come to realize that Peace is not magical. That it is all up to you, but not in a guilty sense. That you can go through the day in peace and that you can return to peace. You must have a sense of progress and you must have a sense of the effect of your own efforts so that this whole thing isn't a mystery. I know that you've all felt the peace of God, but with most of you, it is some sort of magical, mystical happening, and it's as if it attacks you. And you don't know when it's coming. And you don't, you don't know when it's leaving. And what you want is to understand that there are extremely simple baby, baby, baby rules. The kids out there are practicing them. They are practicing these rules. They are educated out of them. They are, they are taught that the rules are not good rules. And they turn against the very knowledge that they have of living in the present and seeing that everything is for fun and so forth. Yes, yes, they are talked out of this. But these rules are so simple that they are instinctive. You don't even have to teach them. They're just there in your heart. 
But we are at a point where we've got to go back and relearn them because we have educated ourselves out of them. And we are not happy. And we are pursuing things that are hurting us. And we are doing things that are making us a burden to our friends. And we're getting sick. And things aren't going well. And, the, and our lives are beginning to wind down for most of us. And, and, there's, and we've already gotten over the, uh, the big hump in the... Uh, Oh, there's another analogy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Never mind. Skip that. <laughs> and 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 for most of you, you've begun to you've begun to see this almost souring of things, uh, the tarnishing of the of the dream, the the the, the checklist of things that you you knew was going to do it for you, you. You've begun to cross out. You've already crossed out a number of these things. They aren't going to do it for you. You've turned away already from a number of things in the world. And there's this feeling of a downward slide now. And perhaps you too have put uh, some friends to rest. And you see, yes, it's going to end, isn't it? It's very short, isn't it? Now the mistake that people make when they begin to see that this world is not a happy place, is that they think it has something to do with spiritual progress to not be happy. This is a very common mistake. A true, honest perception is made. You begin to see this dog-eat-dog kind of thing that's going on. And it's honest, and it rings true. This is why there's so much cynicism in books and movies and all that. This is indeed a form of honesty. But of course what has happened in most of the TV shows and the magazines and the novels and so forth is that our writers have gotten stuck in this place. Not all of them, of course, but many of them have gotten stuck and they, they haven't gone beyond that. There's nothing but cynicism in pointing it out. And this, of course, isn't a happy thing to do because either you've seen it or you haven't. But you want to be happy and peaceful. And you can be happy and peaceful in the world. You must be happy and peaceful. Because when you're happy and peaceful, you're in the present. You're connecting with your true identity. You're beginning to sense what you actually are. And you free yourself from the world. You are not so much caught up in this grinding of the mill that goes on. You walk slightly above all of these many, many thorns. There is, in fact, almost a floating feeling when you begin to experience what I'm talking about. A feeling of being picked up and carried along. Of how easy it is. A feeling of perfect protection. A feeling that nothing can harm you. It's all going to turn all right, out all right. And for the moment, you can't for the life of you think of a single problem that you have. You bless everyone. You have no enemies. Because the peace of God is on you. And in you. And you are the peace of God. Now I want you to have this experience. I want you to know you can have more and more of this experience every day. But you must give up your belief 
that we all have that there is some big breakthrough, that there is some grand adventure to all of this. The ego brings all of its values to a spiritual path, and your ego has done this. And one of the values is excitement and enormous change. And I'm telling you, you can waste a very long time trying to have a breakthrough and to have a dark night of the soul. You don't want a dark night of the soul. (laughs) Now, what has to be done is you've got to understand that you will have enormous progress once you realize that you must content yourself with very small daily steps. When you've thrown out looking for magical, wonderful new ways and running after every guru and everything else that comes through town and reading this book and that and trying this and talking excitedly about all this stuff and you just settle down and you start doing what you already know and you do it today and you start the day over, over and over again, then you will have enormous progress. And you will feel this peace come into your heart. That's what you want. Now, let me give you still another little trick, hint, step, rule about this. This comes from the section that I've been recommending the last several Sundays. The new beginning, the beginning of chapter 30 of the text gives you seven rules, I believe that's correct, seven, about how to start the day over. So let's just pull one little piece out of that and look at it. The way you are in the habit of making decisions, the way all egos are in the habit of making decisions, is that you're walking along, you're going along your day, and suddenly there's a little hesitancy. Now, before we start talking about this, we talked about that hesitancy and becoming aware of it. You must become aware of how highly conflicted you are of all your decisions. This is a wonderful thing to realize how fearful you are about everything. This is an absolute necessary step. Because otherwise you think it's normal to be that way. And you will do nothing to escape from what you think is normal. And so you're going along, and suddenly there's a little hesitancy, there's a little hitch, and you're wondering what you should do about such and such. A little something. Should you walk to this room of the house or that room of the house? Uh, Should you have this on the menu or that on the menu? Should you say this to this person? Should you type the letter over? It only has this one little mistake in it. There's suddenly there's a little hitch, a little hesitancy. This is the moment you must become aware of. Now, once you become aware of it, then let me tell you what people on a spiritual path do. They see this, and then they begin thinking of the alternatives. And what you must understand is you cannot think of the alternatives without scaring yourself. 
Notice this. As soon as you start thinking, should I do this or should I do that? Notice what happens to your mind. You start getting anxious and scared. Notice it beginning to fill up your heart. Just a little bit. I'm not saying that this is an overpowering. You must become aware of this this, proceed, this uh, process. Now, what people on a spiritual path do when they reach this stage is that once they have thought of the alternatives, they then sit down and ask for guidance. And you must see the fallacy of this. I have no question. I forgot what to, do, uh, what to decide, says A Course in Miracles. If you judge the situation, you will think you know what to do. You must not judge the situation, because if you first judge it, then you will set the rules, and you will think of alternatives. So at this point, you must catch yourself right at that point. As you're beginning to think of the alternatives, it doesn't matter how long you've been thinking of them, but when you catch yourself thinking about the alternatives, about the least little act, stop right there. Interrupt that process. Do not ask for guidance concerning the alternatives. This is a reaction to fear, and you're just as likely to get the voice of the higher ego as you are to get the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you, this can be deeply confusing, and it can turn you away from praying altogether. You don't want that to happen. The higher ego can mimic the voice of God, and hearing instructions about what you should do can come just as easily from the higher ego as it come, can come from God. That's why I want you to understand this business of a peaceful preference, because this is a higher form of guidance. And it is also an easier form of guidance, and you can skip all this guidance nonsense. You don't have to go through that stage being told to go to Chicago and wait 10 days and all this silly stuff, you know. I can't tell you how many people have called me and told me that, that their guidance was that they were supposed to come to Santa Fe, and did I know why? <laughs> all right, now. You see, peace doesn't tell you to go to Santa Fe. This isn't that specific. It's a general sort of, it's a sort of a nice, easy, flowing step that you take. And yes, you may find yourself in Santa Fe, but there's not this anxiety and all this figuring out and reading of signs that goes on. Okay, so you stop yourself. You're beginning to think of alternatives. Now, what do you do? You close your eyes. This is very helpful at this point to close your eyes. Most of us cannot quiet our mind and really go deep in our heart without closing our eyes. Most of us cannot go deep into our heart without taking time. Time still is very important to us. We place a great deal of emphasis on it. And if we have not taken enough time for any spiritual step during the day, we think it means nothing and we discount it even though we've made the effort. We say, oh, I didn't take enough time. Now, of course, it makes no difference how much time you take, but you still believe it makes a difference. And so take the time that you think gives the thing quality, that makes it meaningful. Take that amount of time. Take all the time you need to have a sense of certainty, not perfect certainty, but a sense of clarity and sureness so that you have touched the peace of God within you. And you know when you've touched the peace of God within you, Touch it. Feel that confidence and that strength. Not perfect strength and perfect confidence. All right, so 
You follow the alternatives. You sit down. Close your eyes. And then become peaceful. Now, I've told you what I do sometimes. And this is helpful. You don't have to do this. This is just something that I do. I feel very close to Jesus. I use the word Jesus when I'm talking to myself and when I'm praying. Many of you find that an uncomfortable word. And if you do, don't use it. But I'm just going to tell you one of the things that I do to become peaceful. What you do doesn't matter. Use anything that works for you. But I, I feel a very close friendship with Jesus. And so what I often do, not always, but what I often do, is I sort of fall back into Jesus' arms. This is the mental image I have. Just sort of falling back. And I just sort of feel engulfed in peace. See, there's no consideration of the question, of the decision. So often we don't even have to make the decision. So often there's not even a decision that has to be made, you see. We, we have all these questions and there's not even a, nothing to be done, do you see? But regardless of whether is there, there is or is not, peaceful. Now, now I'm peaceful. And I, I, and I have to be honest with myself. It takes me sometimes longer than others. If something has been particularly disturbing, it might take me half an hour to become peaceful. Now, I realize that it, during work, you cannot take off in half an hour. You do the best you can under the circumstances. And the interesting thing is, the circumstances will begin to change to allow you to do what you wish to do to walk home. It's almost magical. The circumstances of your life will arrange themselves around your will. And if you want to walk home, you will gradually find yourself in the perfect circumstances to do this. And so now you're peaceful. And so what do you do? Consider the question. Ask yourself again about the alternatives. Worry about this and worry about that. No. You simply ask yourself, what do I want to do? You look in your heart and you're peaceful. And you say, what do I want to do? And you will have a happy little preference. There will be a little easy little... It's, it's this door. It's this blind man going around. Suddenly, the door gives. Oh, I think I would like to do so and so. How many times have you heard me say that? But most of you are not doing this. Most of you are still making your decisions in the ego way. And that means that you're not feeling the peace of God and you don't understand that you can have the peace of God. And that you can... You can you can begin to uh, release yourself from all this misery quite quickly if you'll take these little steps and begin practicing. Of course you'll make mistakes, and of course it'll seem hard, and of course you'll forget to do it, but you keep coming back to it over and over again. So the rule is this. Do not consider the alternatives. If you're considering the alternatives, stop it. Because if you consider the alternatives too long, you'll scare yourself so much that it'll be very difficult for you to get back to the peace. So don't get into that. Don't think of the alternatives. You're trying to decide something. You realize that. There's been a little hitch, a little hesitation. So you stop. You become peaceful in whichever way you wish. And you look in your heart and you say, what do I want to do? And take what only can be done now. Don't don't deal with some abstract question about career and all this silly stuff. What is it that you could do now that you need to decide? What little step 
could be taken. It may lead to the career. It may not. It may lead to the marriage. It may not. It may lead to the divorce. It may not. It may lead to this treatment of the disease or that treatment. It doesn't matter. Don't decide what it's going to lead to. Take the little step that's a possibility now. Never try to decide anything in advance. Take the little step that concerns you now. Forget it. Turn to the peace of God and then ask in your heart, what do you wish to do? And maybe you'll forget the whole question. And maybe an alternative you've never thought of will come to your mind. And you simply do it until the next hesitation. And there is nothing that will bring you more closely in contact with your actual self and reality so this will stop being just words. So you will understand that the word present means you, God, reality. You've got to understand that there are two locations in your life. And what's happening now is that you're standing between both of them. You've got a foot in the past and a foot in the present, and you don't even know where your mind is. It's shuffling all around. You've got to understand that when you enter the present, you become yourself and you're one with God. Now, that it doesn't, you won't have that experience in the beginning, but you'll have just enough of it that it will be so encouraging to you. And you'll know you're on your way. I promise you, you can walk through this world without fear. You can handle all these little crises that come up and still remain happy. You can smile at these betrayals and all these silly things. You can be happy. You can know your God is with you if you'll do the little steps. Uh, I'm going to end with one thing, which is uh, I'm going to suggest a little exercise. This you may like to do and you may not like to do. It doesn't have the importance of what I was just talking about. But you might, you might find it helpful. And we'll close with this. We could call this uh, bracketed silence. Or we could call it uh, a parenthesis in chaos. Now, some of you like to... Uh, don't call it that, please. Uh, some of you have begun to practice stillness as we did in the opening meditation and, and maybe you got a glimpse of it for the first time what happens when you come to God out of your stillness instead of out of your question maybe you got a sense of that in the opening meditation coming to God out of stillness instead of out of a question all right now here's the here's the thing if you want to practice stillness a little bit here's a nice little exercise see what it is you're going to be doing and, and see the next little unit. All right, so for example, after here, maybe you're going you're gonna to stand up after we get through with the service, and you're going to go back, and you're going to have a donut. We've got some whole wheat donuts back there today. You have no excuses. Now, so that's a little unit, you see. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go back there. And then I'm going to leave. So what you say is, until I leave the room back there, I will not think a single thought. All right, now, you've left the room. 
Now you're going to do what? You're going to get in your car and you're going to drive someplace. You pause just a moment and you say, From now until the time I get to the restaurant or home, I will not think a single thought. I will allow my mind to be still. And if I do, stop, if I do start thinking, I won't spend time worrying about this. I will interrupt the thought. Interrupt the thought. Cut it short and go back to peace. Go back to stillness. So you're going to make the effort to be still. And then when you get home, there'll be a little something. And so you just practice the stillness. You're going to take the ego's argument against that this is just too difficult. And the way that the ego tells you it's too difficult is you try to do it for too long a period of time. And the ego thinks that time is very important. And too much time is very, very important. And so you're just going to be still for a little bit of time. All right, that's just a little exercise. Now, we're going to end the uh, service.